If you'd write down these uh, dates, uh, it'll kind of help you follow, not that these dates are important, but it'll help you follow as they go through and to introduce the message this morning. The first date is 1440. The second date is 1483. Some of you are still alive, or alive back then, I'm sure. 1440, 1483. The third date is 1517. The fourth date is 1520. And the last date is 1521. So you have 1440, 1483, 1517, and 1520, and 1521. The first date, 1440. What was significant about that date? That was the invention of the printing press by Johann Gutenberg in 1440. Much of the the invention that was there in 1440 was used all the way up to 1920. Uh, Again, they made obvious improvements to that, and then 1920, a whole different way of printing came about. But this is significant because in 1483, a man by the name of Martin Luther was born. Now, Martin Luther, of course, is the father of the Protestant Reformation. If you look at the spelling of Protestant, it is protest. It was, and Reformers, they were trying to, some were trying to change the church from within, but as the Protestant Reformation, it changed, it totally broke away from the church and went a whole different direction. Martin Luther was born in uh, 1483. Then in 1517, he was, uh, he was a German monk, he was a priest, uh, he became a professor of theology. Uh, by some standards, or some historians believe that he was a, a brilliant theologian, and of course a bold reformer. The demands of his study brought him to the conclusion that salvation is a gift of God, uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, rather than the claims that were made by the church that freedom from God's punishment could be purchased. And uh, as he came to that conclusion, it's Ephesians 8, 3, uh, 2, 8, 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He, in 1517, nailed what's called the 95 Thesis of Protest, or the 95 Thesis there of Protest, uh, or contention on the door of the church in Wittenberg. Before long, that 95 thesis was put into print and distributed all over Germany. And that led, of course, then in 1520, the Protestant views were condemned by Leo, Pope Leo X. 1521, they called a council. Now, there was no separation between church and state. So this council was not only made up of clergymen, but also government or officials, kings and his representatives, etc. And he was to appear before the assembly. He was confronted, as he appeared before the assembly, he was confronted with a table covered with copies of his writings and asked to recant. His answer was, I... I need time to think about this before I answer. Can I have one night? So they broke the meeting off and that took that evening, looked over the materials, discussed with some of his friends, read through the scriptures, and the next day he appears for them 
And let me read. When the consul put the same question to Luther the next day, the reformer apologized for the harsh tone of many of his writings, but said that he could not reject the majority of them to the teachings in them. Luther respectively, respectfully, but boldly stated, Unless I am convinced by proofs from Scripture or by plain and clear reasons and arguments, I can and will not retract, for it is neither safe nor wise to do anything against conscience. Here I stand, I can do no other, God help me, amen. Here I stand, I can do no other, God help me, amen. Shortly thereafter, Charles the emperor uh, declared him an outlaw, uh, he, he was protected by his life. He died natural causes uh, there in 1546. He was translated the New Testament. Uh, most Bibles at that time, if there was a Bible in the community, was chained to the wall of the church of that community. Uh, it was not in the hands of the people, and it was written in Latin. Uh, he translated the New Testament, first of all, into German. And uh, that went into print, obviously, and it, it got the German Bible into the people's hands so they actually could read the Word of God. It, it actually did two things. It got the Word of God in their people's hands, and people were learning to read then. It brought a, a continuity to the Germanic languages, and people were getting to read, and they were reading from the Word of God. And so this, this led to the Protestant Reformation that spread around the world. Luther, obviously, was a life that made an impact, made a difference. Caleb is our character we're looking at this morning as we continue our series. Uh, he's one man that he's not often included among the number of biblical faith heroes. He's often seen in the shadow of Joshua. Uh, he's usually lost in a much bigger story of the march uh, into the promised land through the wilderness. Uh, he's never mentioned, by the way, in the New Testament uh, is Caleb the character we're looking at this morning. His first appearance is to us if we in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 14 or chapter 13 and 14. Israel had come out of Egypt. They had been at Mount Sinai, Egypt, Mount Sinai, and then gone up to the promised land. It's, this is about a two-year trip. They were about a year at Mount Sinai getting the, the law, building the tabernacle. Now they're up to a place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is the jumping off point. This is where they're going to go from this point and enter into the promised land. And so Moses appoints 12 spies. Uh, they go into the land. Those, those 12 spies then come back and they give their report. The land is flowing with milk and honey, but there's Anakim, or giants, in the land. There's Hittites, Amalekites, Jebusites, and Amorites. In other words, everything that God told us is true about the land, but there's giants. Joshua and Caleb spoke up and said, Let us go at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. There in Numbers chapter 13, verse 21. The response of the ten other spies was bad. The giants were like grasshoppers in their sight. In fact, they even think we're grasshoppers in their sight. We're just... We're just little. Joshua and Caleb respond and say, no, do not hesitate. We need to go up. 
they are like bread to us. Or if we said it today, we'd say they're like a piece of cake to us. It's easy for us through God to defeat them. The response of the people was to stone Joshua and Caleb. And that's where, again, God intervened through Moses. And, of course, this led to the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Everybody over the age of 20 died, except Joshua and Caleb. Their life was spared because of their faith and their belief. The second appearance we see of Josh, or Caleb then is there in Joshua chapter 14 and 15, which we read this morning, where he comes and he says, Give me that mountain. That's based on the promise that was been given to him by Moses. And then there is a third appearance of Joshua. It's in the book of Judges. And that's where it, it records him taking the mountain and how he uh, gave an inheritance onto his son-in-law, uh, who was a very brave and courageous man. But he, he fulfilled, he accomplished what had been promised to him. So three, three references to Caleb. Caleb's life is a lesson of those of us who live and work in today. Today's progressive culture of secular humanism, selfish pragmatism that so permeates every facet of the 21st century. Caleb wasn't afraid to stand out from the crowd and like Martin Luther declared, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me, amen. So we have Caleb took a stand. And what we want to look at is what, what is it that made Caleb the kind of man he uh, is to take that kind of stand and even die if necessary? Here I stand. First of all, his commitment. One of the things, we've looked at Barnabas, we've looked at Ruth, and now we're looking at Caleb. One of the things that stands out about these individuals that make a difference seems to always come back to this whole area of commitment. To be committed, unwavering, unshakable, unconditional. Are you committed? Is your commitment, what is your commitment to God? Is it unwavering, unshakable, unconditional? In verse 8, it says, this is, this is J, uh, Caleb's testimony, he says, But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Moses says of him in verse 9, because you have fully followed the Lord my God. And then in verse 14, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. He wholly, he fully, he wholly followed. It was unwavering, unshakable, unconditional commitment to God. What does that mean, to wholly follow God? To close the gap. It's a term used of a hunter who's after his prey. He wants to get close enough for a shot. He's closing the gap. He wholly followed after God. Caleb was committed to keeping his distance between himself and the Lord to a minimum. He was committed to God. Ask yourself this question. How far are you from God? Are you closing the gap? Do you have a closer walk with God today than you had last year or yesterday? Are you closing the gap? He was holy. He wholly followed the Lord my God. He closed the gap. He was committed to God, unshakable, unwavering, unconditional commitment. Caleb was committed to keeping that distance between himself and the Lord 
uh, at a minimum. Turn, turn with me over to James chapter 4, verse 8. James chapter 4, verse 8. James writes, Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Mean what? What's that mean? Close the gap. You draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. You close the gap. You know, we draw near to lots of things. We are distracted easily. We, had, we have a, uh, a, a, an inability to fully concentrate on are easily distracted. But he says, no, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Close the gap. And then how? He follows what he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. That, that's the external, that's the external behavior. It symbolizes that there's a cer- ceremonial cleansing that the priest had to go, uh, go through before they could enter in the presence of God. They had to wash their hands and wash their feet. That was the external cleansing. Clean, cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's a ceremonial cleansing. That, that's the, the external behavior. And your purify your hearts. That's your thoughts, your motives, your attitudes, your desires, the, that which is within you. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. He will not hear me if I regard iniquity. Close the gap. You, if you have external behavior, if you have inner sins that you have unconfessed, you need to close the gap. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. A double-minded man, as it says there, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's two-souled. A man's mind divided between, a, between the world and the Lord. You are a walking civil war. You have a battle going on inside. Even in Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address, he said in, from Matthew 20, 12, 25, he said, a house divided against, against itself will not stand. You need to close the gap. Caleb was committed to God. He had closed the gap. Where is your life? Have you closed the gap? Are you completely, wholeheartedly, totally, 100% sold out? Or are you holding on to something? You're afraid to close the gap. You're not willing to close the gap. And it doesn't matter. Here, Caleb is 85 years old. It doesn't matter whether you're 8 or 80. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, you need to close the gap. You need to be walking with him daily on a basis in which you're becoming closer and closer to him. Many of you have heard of a man by the name of D.L. Moody. If you know anything about the Christian church in America, you know the name D.L. Moody. Moody was a shoe clerk who got saved and became an international evangelist. He greatly moved America and Europe for Christ. If you were to go to Chicago today, you would find the Moody Bible Institute. You would also find the Moody Church. Both of them reflect the years of evangelism and preaching of D.L. Moody. He had an incredible impact upon two continents for Jesus Christ. He never went to seminary. He was just a shoe clerk and saved when he was 19 years old. He never really made much of an impact for God until one time he was in England and he heard a man speaking in an open field. That man's name was a, was a quiet-spoken man by the name of Henry Varley. 
Henry Varley said something that would shake D.L. Uh, Moody to his very foundations. Here's what Varney said. The world has yet to see what God can do in and through and with and for a man wholly committed to God. Let me read that to you again. The world has yet to see what God can do in and through and with and for a man wholly committed to God. Let's really close the gap. And Moody, hearing Varney say that, said, At that moment, I resolved to be that man. I made a total commitment to Jesus Christ, and from that time on, he was radically and dramatically changed. That was the turning point in Moody's life, and in his biographer, and his biographer said that he took two continents, shook them for Jesus Christ, just as an ordinary man. Dwight L. Moody, but the secret of Moody's life was total commitment. The secret of Caleb's life was total commitment. I wholly followed the Lord my God. The world has yet to see what God can do in and through and with and for a man wholly committed to God. Caleb closed the gap. He was committed to God. He held nothing back because of his trust, his confidence, his unshakable, unwavering, unconditional commitment to God. The second thing is Caleb's confidence in the word of God. Notice his declaration. Verse 6 begins the declaration. He says, you know the word which the Lord said to me. Then in verse 10, he continues his declaration. He says, now the Lord has kept me alive as he said these 45 years. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while, I, while Israel wandered. Then in verse 12, again he says, Now therefore you give me that mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to live them out as the Lord said. Five times he draws back to the confidence that he has in the word of God. Caleb is a lesson for those who, who live and work in, in today's world. He has that absolute confidence, unshakable, in the Lord God, what the Lord spoke in, the, in God's word, unshakable, unwavering, unconditional. The explanation of his confidence there is verse 12, I shall be able to drive them out. He had absolute confidence in the word of God that it will come, come to pass exactly what God said. Isaiah fifty-five eleven. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I please. The point is this. Caleb had an absolute confidence in the word of God. What God said would come to pass. What God said was, Caleb, this mountain is for you. And Caleb said, you know what? God said it. I believe it. I'm going to take that mountain. Give me that mountain. God said it. I believe it. Let's just go ahead and do it. We have confidence in a lot of things. 
but the Word of God isn't one of them. The Bible stands like a rock undaunted mid the raging storms of time. Its pages burn with truth eternal, and they glow with a light sublime. The Bible stands though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble. I will plant my feet on its firm foundation, for the Bible stands. Caleb was committed to God, and Caleb had confidence in the word of God. He rested on that. Let me just give you some, uh, three examples. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. In Jeremiah or 32, there's no promise too hard for God to keep. There's no promise too hard for God to keep. It says this, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there? Is there, is there anything too hard for God? There's no promise that he cannot keep. The Bible stands. The earth may crumble. Floods may come around me. But you know what? The truth of the word always will be fulfilled exactly as he planned and wanted it. There's no prayer too hard to answer. Jeremiah 33, I will call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. There's no prayer too hard for God to answer. And then the truth there in verse 8 of chapter 33, there's no person too hard to save. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. God's word is going to be fulfilled. It's going to be carried out. Man will fail you, circumstances will overwhelm you, and you may come to the place where all your plans end up as nothing, but the Bible will stand. Caleb had absolute, unshakable, unwavering, unconditional confidence in the Word of God. He was committed unconditionally, unwaveringly, unhesitatingly to God. He was committed and he had confidence and Caleb's courage to the work of God. He had to overcome grasshoppers, the naysayers. Remember the report there in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, says, There we saw the giants, and the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight also. The grasshopper complex. We feel like grasshoppers, and they agreed with us. Always has, we will always have individuals with a grasshopper complex. They see the circumstances but fail to see the God of the circumstances. They're quick to give an excuse that the individual that would give a glass of water to a drowning man, he had to overcome the grasshoppers. He had to overcome the giants. There's always going to be the cants and the canters. They'll always be around us. We've never done it that way before. That can't be done that way. You know, my church back in Indiana, you're always going to have the cant and canters among us. But as we simply seek to try to follow God and his leading and work in our lives, sometimes we have to overcome the grasshoppers. We used to call it the small man complex, the grasshopper complex. He had to overcome giants. The outlook of fear, that's the grasshopper complex. The uplook of faith, that's to overcome the giants. Whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. In Proverbs 20, 29, verse 25. 
In verse 25a, it says, The fear of man brings a snare. That's the grasshoppers. That's the outlook of fear. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. That's the upward uplook of faith. He had to overcome the giants. He had to overcome the grasshoppers. We all have giants in our lives. Pride, self-pity, doubt, finances, sickness, lust, distress. But the truth is, we can't defeat them by ourselves. He had an absolute confidence in the word of God. And he has courage to do the work of God. Why? Because his commitment to God. You may have recognized this picture. This is Derek Redmond. He had already set several world records. He was considered to be the favorite in the 92 Olympic Games in the 400-meter dash. Redmond is a British runner who participated in the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona. Barely into the 400-meter race, he pulled a hamstring and fell to the ground. Everyone thought he was finished. But much in the surprise of the spectators, that this courageous athlete slowly stood and began to hobble around the track. It was actually in the first turn where he, you could tell he pulled his hamstring and tumbled to the ground. The rest of the runners went by. He got up, you could tell it was painful for him, and he actually was limping and hopping on one leg uh, after the first turn down the back stretch. However, even with such tenacity, it was apparent that there was simply no way he could finish the race. Just as he was about to fall again, a man came out of the stands put his arm around the injured runner and assisted him all the way across the line. Uh, when this man had come out of the stands to assist him on the backstretch to get across the finish line, several of the Olympic officials, uh, at least three or four different times, came to him and told him to get back in the stands, and he, he pushed, pushed them away and he said, No, I'm staying. I'm not, I'm not going to go back in the stands. I'm staying. I'm going to help him. The stadium roared with approval as Derek Redmond completed his race. The scene was a moving one, made even more significant by the realization that the one who came along Derek was his own father. Together, linked arm in arm, father and son crossed the finish line as one. When he was interviewed after the race, The father said, I felt it was important that we had begun the race together. In other words, the training, the preparation, that we finish it together. When we are facing life's giants and are in danger of falling, the Heavenly Father comes alongside of us to help us carry on for his glory. We're facing the giants, but we're not alone. We're not in this by ourselves. He is not only, Caleb was not only committed to God and had confidence in the word of God, but he had courage to do the work of God. He overcame grasshoppers, he overcame giants, he overcame gray hairs. There's no retirement plan from doing the Lord's work. If you haven't figured that out yet, you need to figure that out. And realize there's no retirement plan 
from doing the Lord's work. There may be a retirement plan from whatever job you had for a lifetime or a few years, whatever it may be, but when it comes to the Lord's work, there is no retirement plan. Joshua 14, verse 10 and 11 says, Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years. From the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and for coming in. There is no retirement plan. Vigorous. He was committed to God. He had confidence in the word of God. And he had courage to do the work of God because he knew he wasn't by himself. This is a life that made a difference, made an impact. That's why we've used the the background there of the ripple. How a drop of water comes in and then the ripple effect. You have no idea of your, your circle of influence, of the ripple effect that your choices, of your behavior, of your words, of your attitudes is going to have upon those around you. You and I can be a life that makes a difference. Let's all stand for prayer. Father, as we come to you, we thank you, God, that for the life of Caleb, for the impact and difference he made, for his example to us. We thank you, God, that you have seen fit to, even in thinking of Martin Luther there, coming to that conclusion and realization that his grace is through faith, not of works. And if you're here this morning, if you're high as closed and heads bowed. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, but you would like to have someone show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. Is there anyone like that? Secondly, if you're here, say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me that I will have that confidence, that commitment, that courage to make a difference. Is there anyone? Yes. Others? Father God, I thank you, God, for the truth of your Word, the power of it, knowing that it will never return void even in an adequate a, a, uh, servant seeking to serve you, seeking to, to proclaim you. But the truth is in you, Lord, not in the servant, but you working through the servant. We thank you that you work through Caleb. Oh, God, I pray that you help us to make a difference. In Christ's name we pray, amen.